1: Hi, and welcome back to The Cannabis Reporter. In the last month, we've talked a lot about the war on drugs and how law enforcement officers are now beginning to support an end to prohibition. We've also learned how veterans are making strides to educate other veterans about ways in which cannabis can help deal with wartime injuries. Today I'd like to go a little deeper into that subject because despite growing awareness and scientific proof that cannabis is saving lives, the stigma associated with marijuana use and prohibition often prevents new patients from seeking treatment. Breaking with convention means overcoming the fear of public consternation and shame associated with breaking federal law. It's something that one of my guests today calls the black sheep syndrome. It's something she's hoping will change. But before we get to that... I just wanna say that those who truly understand the benefits of cannabis already know how absurd our federal laws really are. But the negative propaganda continues to influence those who are not convinced. It seems that education really is the only way to break down barriers and change public perception. It's so important for everyone to hear from the people who have overcome debilitating illness and injury because they've made the courageous choice to overcome those barriers. That is why we're here. Before I get to the guests today, though, I want Nate Nichols to say hello, and can you give us our Marijuana Minute update? What do you have for us?
2: Hi, Snowden. Today, I'm here to give you some facts about medical marijuana. According to CBS News, 84% of Americans support the use of marijuana for medical purposes. This is compared with 54% of Americans that Gallup say support the legalization of marijuana. Mixed data collected from state programs, as well as estimates from the Marijuana Policy Project, revealed that 2.6 million Americans use medical marijuana in the United States. That's an average of eight people per every thousand residents of the US. Using census data, it's estimated that 33% of Americans live in an area where they could possibly access medical marijuana. In 2013, the New England Journal of Medicine conducted a study where they posed a hypothetical case involving an elderly cancer patient to 1,446 doctors from 72 different countries and 56 states and provinces in North America. Asked if they would recommend medical marijuana to a patient of this nature, they found that nearly 8 in 10 doctors approved of the use of medical marijuana. Patients agree with their doctors, and in a landmark representative study of California medical marijuana patients conducted by the Public Health Institute in partnership with the Centers for Disease Control, 92% of patients said that medical marijuana alleviated symptoms for their serious medical conditions, including chronic pain, arthritis, migraines, and cancer. Anecdotally, Medical marijuana has proven to be an effective treatment amongst many veterans with PTSD and other conditions. According to the Department of Veteran Affairs, one in five veterans who served in Iraq and Afghanistan experience PTSD. It is believed that almost one in three Vietnam veterans suffers from PTSD. An average of 2,500 veterans commit suicide every year, with many deaths linked to drug and alcohol abuse. Recently, the VA revised its treatment procedure and now says that treatment providers should not ignore medical marijuana use in their PTSD patients. The policy remains to only uh, recommend evidence-based treatments for individual disorders. However, marijuana can now be considered one of these policies.
1: And it seems like the VA has quite a ways to go to uh, change some of their policies on that. We can get to that at some point, too. I'm really hoping that they start to open their eyes. And I think that the more people speak out about this issue, especially veterans, um, the more likely that is to happen sometime in the near future. So with that said, time to introduce our guests. Um, First, Liz Valentine has the unique distinction of being one of our first guests here at The Cannabis Reporter, as the founder of a medical marijuana licensing facility called Green Star Doctors, she's a medical marijuana expert who plays a vital role in helping new medical marijuana patients overcome the stigma associated with marijuana use. I'm glad you're back. Thank Liz. you. One of the patients she has worked with is Air Force Technical Sergeant Matthew Sladen. He has an incredible story and has overcome all sorts of incredible odds and um, injury on October 24th 2007 he was severely wounded and lost his eyesight while inspecting an improvised explosive device in Iraq first of all thank you for your service very welcome and thank you for being here and he's joined here today with his wife Annette and thank you for being here as well I'm really um, glad you both could make it I read some of the issues that you both have faced, and I listened to you speak last week. Um, It's just incredibly moving what you've been through and all of the obstacles you've had to try to overcome, but something that I read was, it just struck my heart, that the issues you both have faced together while working with the medical system and the government have given you both new direction in life to serve those who face the same problems, and I was talking with Liz a little earlier today, and she said, you know, the one thing that pops into her mind that she most needs to know, and I think that all of our listeners should know this, how on earth did you get the strength to do what you've done and, and then to make the journey into cannabis?
0: <laughs> oh, I didn't have much of a choice, in the, it seemed like, in the, in the, when I, in the short term. I... Uh, but well, I loved what I did. I was really driven. Loved the military. It was a career choice. I um, I was in the military long before 911. And uh uh I volunteered for everything I did. I enjoyed my work greatly. And uh I was always after a challenge and you know, and that whole, you know, cliche huy, you know, uh lead from the front kind of mentality. And when I was wounded, I found myself uh um kind of like uh I need to reestablish a mindset. And I started looking at my injuries and my wounds as a mission. And so I kind of sat down like, okay, I want to accomplish X. I want to get to this point. And to do that, I need to lay down goals and drive after them really, really hard. And I had to make a lot of adjustments on the way. And one of the big ones was uh, making the decision to try cannabis. And that, that was not easy for me. That, that took a lot of uh, soul-searching.
1: Was it mainly because um, it just was looked down on in, in your circles?
0: Yeah, that's a combination of it. Um, um, being a soldier, being a professional soldier is uh, you don't, you know, that uh, drugs of any kind are just anathema. It's just, it's, it's a black and white issue uh, in the military. The answer is no. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, and if you do, you're on your way out. It's, there's no like, oh, well, you're going to lose a stripe and spend some time. No, you're on your way out. You're leaving the military. You're done. And, so, and then two is that uh, that kind of hardcore suck it up, I can hack it because you have to in the field. And so that stuff sticks with you. You know, it becomes a mindset. And so making that reach out for, uh, uh, re- finding the strength to reach out and uh, try cannabis, you know, because I was breaking a lot of my personal taboos and things that I just had said, you know what, I just don't, I don't do that. Because I just don't do that. And there's no well, moral arguments or religious arguments or political arguments. Those didn't come into it for me. It's like, I just don't do that. That's, that's not how I deal with issues. And uh, it took several uh, of my very good friends that uh, have been severely wounded to approach me uh, and talk to me about it at length, about their experiences with uh, medical cannabis. And then it still took me a, about a year to make that decision. And one of the things that really drove me to it is that I was running out of options. I was taking all the pills. I was doing everything pharmaceutical-wise, you know, things you know, that you can do at the VA. And that stuff's great for short-term survival, but you can't live on the stuff for mm-hmm. decades. You know, we're looking at decades. This isn't, I'm 45. I got wounded at 37. Wow. I've got decades of life ahead of me. And I'm supposed to spend the, you know, there's no way. You can't sustain yourself. Shoveling mouthfuls of Vicodin and Depakote and, you know, and Lyrica. You know, they'll get you through the crisis moments. But for a long-term survival, the, it, it, the collateral damage from that stuff is so bad that uh, I, I was dying by inches.
1: Right. And then what What was it that turned the corner for you?
0: Um. Well,
1: I mean, after meeting with your friends, and what was it that finally convinced you? Uh,
0: my wife was a huge help because I was really on the fence. Um, and so uh, she did a lot of research for me, and we said, okay, you know. We get, so we went and got the medical records, and we got everything done, and you know, and then I kind of stopped and was like, oh, do I really want to do this? And um, Annette did her research, and we found uh, Liz at Green Star and uh, went, went in there, and that completely changed my attitudes about it because, you know, that was my first introduction. And I realized that the, you know, the medical cannabis community wasn't made up of a bunch of, you know, potheads, which is, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I said, I was expecting and Chong, you know, somebody behind the counter, come on in, bro, we'll hook you up, man. And that's not what it was. I felt like I was walking into a dentist's office. Right. It really did. It but was, it
3: must a much nicer decorated dentist. Yeah. office. <laughs> yeah. It was
0: full, full of old ladies. I was Thank like, you. okay, well, this must not be that bad. There's a bunch of old ladies in here and if they're not scared then I got nothing to be scared of, so let's just do this.
1: Yeah. Annette, I want to hear from you, but Liz, what
4: was it that you told them? Oh, I pretty much whenever I see any patient that comes in, they they're shaking, they're they're nervous, even if they have been smoking for a long time, they just come in nervous. So I'm always there to shed light on the fact that they're okay socially, physically. Um, this is non-toxic, non-lethal. And so I just reassure them over and over again that I'm an example, I have pain, and it doesn't take away my quality of life. Right, or your ability to be a stand-up citizen. That's right.
1: Yeah. Right. And and I think that a lot of patients that you do speak with, like you said, they come in, they're shaking. They leave I,
4: laughing. They leave. Yeah, <laughs> they realize that maybe that, you know, they built it up in their minds i'm sure matt you've had it like for a long time that build up of you know like most people you know it's a propaganda against a plant right so when we start educating everybody that this is non-toxic you cannot die from it so it puts a lot of uh it takes a lot of pressure off yeah we just have to change the stigma now yeah absolutely and, and I think that
1: that's the key to eventually getting the laws changed because it really is quite absurd when you look at how it's been scheduled, how the, there's so many millions and billions and trillions of dollars that have gone into fighting a war on this plant. So many innocent people behind. So many you know, innocent people. Yeah. And so many lives could have been spared
4: years of pain, too. That's why I say the black sheep syndrome right. is really difficult. Um, I feel that I live through it. Um, we look over our shoulder. We feel inadequate. We're criminalized. We're demoralized. We, we feel like um, the drag of society when I'm not doing anything else. I don't have pills in my system or what the bad drugs are. You know, there's, there's nothing in my system besides cannabis. So why should I feel terrible a personal choice when that's not hurting anyone else or myself and I am an upstanding citizen I, I feel a kind humanitarian mm-hmm. and um, I still feel um, it, m- most times unable to socialize because right. I fear judgment all the time yeah well we
1: hope that changes Annette how was it for you, when he was exploring that as an option, I mean, you look at him, he's a decorated sergeant, he's, you know, respectable. I mean, did, you, did those things pop into your mind when you were helping him to make that decision?
3: I think that I brought my own biases into it, unfortunately, because of my past relationships. And uh, my ex-husband was a drug addict, so I immediately was worried about that. Uh. But I was also more worried about Matt with the narcotics becoming a drug addict. He actually called me the pill Nazi from the beginning because I was so worried about him becoming addicted to narcotics that I perhaps didn't give him as many as he should have had. But uh, so when we came along to the medical cannabis issue, that to me... um, seemed like a better option, but I was still really nervous about it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But I also know all the side effects the other meds had given him. He would gained, like, 70 pounds. Um, they made him feel not himself. You know, he said he felt like a zombie, really, like so many other veterans state, too. All the medications they'll give you, you really feel like a zombie. And um, I wanted him to have a different option, but I was really scared about it, I'll be mm-hmm. honest. Both of us driving on our way out there. Um, to go to Green Star Doctors for the first time. We talked about it, and we were still both really, really nervous about it. But I think, like Matt said, as soon as we walked in the door and we saw what it was actually all about, and then we let, met Liz and the other people there were so kind and had so much great and positive information about it
4: mm-hmm.
3: that um, we were our minds were completely made up by the time we got there and walked in the door. It was just amazing. We look back on it now as a totally different experience than we anticipated.
1: Right, and I I would think that the mystery of it is almost as much a problem as the stigma. I mean, you're really stepping into the unknown and not knowing how something is going to affect you other than what you've heard, you know, maybe either horror stories or, you know, about giggling youth or whatever. <laughs> you know, how do you know it's... Yeah. 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 So excuse me. So sergeant when you were um when you first started using cannabis what was your experience? Did you just have an aha moment like oh why didn't I discover this sooner?
0: Um yes and no. Uh because initially I was I was trying to be very careful that I wasn't uh going to fall into the recreational kind of thing which is really really easy to do. Mm-hmm. And uh And I had to go through the process of tapering myself off of all my psych meds. You know, I didn't just go make them, I didn't make my mind up on this by myself and just go do it. I discussed it with my doctors uh, for a long time. And, uh, you know, I uh, didn't do this in a vacuum. Lots of uh, therapy, you know, lots of hard work, lots of uh, being ready to make the switch so I would have the best chance for success. And, but I would say, yeah, pretty much it was like, wow, you know, uh, and then like noticing, like especially after a few days of noticing it it's be like, huh, I haven't taken a Vicodin today, and normally I'd be, you know, wanting a second one already, and uh, this is interesting, you know, my Advan consumption drops dramatically, you know, because I'm just not feeling it, so it's like, and you know, it's, uh, an increased sense of uh, mood, you know, it's eu- euphoria inducing. And so you're in a better mood, and so I'm not chewing on everybody around me mm-hmm. because I'm in pain, I'm angry, I'm upset, I have post traumatic stress, I'm blind. I'm missing my arm. I'm I'm gonna bite you if you get within his arm's reach. And that was started to bleed off over time.
4: Has it been three years now?
0: Three, I think I just got my fourth card. Fourth
4: card, so wow.
0: And and I would say that in the beginning, I was actually thinking about this last night, in the beginning. It was the cannabis. You know, it's like a, you know, it's the, it's the painkiller. You know, it's like, you know, ooh, it doesn't hurt anymore. Well, that's because you've got morphine in your system. And so it was the cannabis. I could recognize that I'm like, okay, something's stimulating me. And, but over time with me uh, healing, because it gave me time to heal because I got all those really powerful pharmaceuticals. I began to drop weight. I felt better. I got more active. I am more social that my consumption of the cannabis started to drop because i didn 't need it so much because i wasn 't in pain as often because i'm not, i don not 't want to be high all the time that's I, I if i could if you know if you could make a wave a magic wand and fix me i 'd be like i don 't need cannabis anymore i, I it 's just not my thing I don't, i'm not interested i don't, i'm not a drinker it 's not my thing I, don't, I like being level headed mm-hmm. and so Um, so once I started feeling better, the attraction to just use it for the, for recreational purposes really fell off very quickly for me because I'd rather be more aware of my surroundings and not, you know, high and like read a book or something.
1: Did you try a number of different, um, combinations of THC and CBD to get that right mix so that you didn't feel the euphoria when you stopped feeling as though you needed that?
0: Yes, yes, we do a lot of uh, messing around with that, uh, you know, of uh, uh, constantly asking about, like, what's your CBD strain? That's, like, one of the first things I ask mm-hmm. is uh, what's your CB stri- CBD strains and what are your percentages and everything because, you know, uh, they're not as common. You know, they're a little harder to get. And uh, But uh, all the veterans I know who use, they, they just they love this stuff because it gives you, it helps your body pain and physical, you know, manifestations so much without – overdoing your uh, head and getting you kind of, you know, loopy.
1: Right. And and for those who are suffering from PTSD, it's helpful to for that as well, reducing anxiety.
0: Oh, it's done wonders for me. Um, you know, I used to consume, like I said, lots and lots of psych meds. Um, I was actually having psychotic breaks. You know, this isn't like a, oh, I feel anxious and paranoid. This is the kind of stuff that makes you so freaked out, so nervous, so scared that, this is why people kill themselves because mm-hmm. that's the only way to make it stop, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like being in a horror house that you cannot get out of. And everybody's looking at you and like, uh, nothing, there's nothing there, you know? And, uh, but the images will stick with you. The, you know, it, you can't wash that stuff out no, of I, your brain. I, Once I, it goes in, it leaves a permanent mark.
1: Yeah. I can imagine that anyone who hasn't served could, even fathom what it is like to go through that and okay. I think that that's partly Liz why there's judgment about this and, and you know also from the, the pedestals at the VA mm-hmm. the people who are making the decisions and deciding not to allow cannabis to be incorporated into the I think that they just maybe haven't been there no yeah
0: Oh, well, I mean, I get that impression all the time. You know, I hear people, uh, one of my pet peeves is uh, anytime I hear a reporter call a uh, riot that it looks like a war, I have <laughs> a no. snicker. And I'm like, Were, are there RPGs flying around? Are people being splattered into bits on the walls? Have you ever seen explosively driven blood? You'll never forget what it looks like. Yeah.
1: What was the feedback you got from your medical doctors at the VA uh, in Were they supportive when you told them that you were making the transition?
0: No comments. That's what they said. Really? They can't support. They can't condemn. They, you know, okay, we accept that you're going to do that, and that's, but, you know. Were
1: they astonished at your progress?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of them are like, he's doing well, so he must be doing something right. Yeah. And I do know for a fact that, you know, when I meet with my therapists, um, um, they were, He and she and my, my doctors and my nurses and stuff, they, they tell me all the time. They're like, Matt, in the last few years, you have made leaps and bounds. You are, you are light years ahead of where you were psychologically and physically just a couple of years ago. And compared to so many other patients I have, you're doing so well. Yeah. And I come in, I'm like, man, I am messed up and I am hurting. And he's like, in, you know, he's like yeah, I understand. He goes, but... He said, "Don't don't don't beat yourself up because you, the guy that just left, you don't want to know. Okay, you're doing good, so have a seat and let's talk. So that gives me kind of a, you know, a, a, a measuring stick."
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Liz, you even mentioned you were just completely taken by his strength and courage and demeanor and good attitude from the and, first
4: day. Yeah. I, I just knew that I've seen so many patients with so many different challenges and before he started cannabis his his um outlook was always more positive and I could feel his energy with with the strength that he was obviously pulling together to to try to change um you know the course of his journey and his actions with his healing and so Prior to the cannabis actually being effective, Matt, your, your personality was it, it was um, always strong, most likely, because you've taken your strength to cannabis and said, "Let's find this out. Let's, let's dig." And, and you did. You found what heals you and what helps you, and, and you're getting better. And however the speed is, that's okay, as long as it's on the path of better. And, um, and, I, and I, could, I could sense after... So when I started, there was no community yet. You know, I came from Denver where everybody had their peacock feathers out. Here in Arizona, it's taken several years of the dispensaries being open for the public generally to feel satisfied that they have a place to find medicine outside of just their dealer, which made it look more druggy, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And... Um, at a time when, um, I started meeting all of you kind people in, mm-hmm. uh, in the same industry, um, I realized that there were people in my office that were coming through yearly that, um, and then Matt just stuck out in my mind and, and I, I recalled his story and I thought I really would love to see him again and not a joke within the week of the veterans. Um, Event he had come to the office i 'm not always there. The timing was set up perfectly, and we we formed this um, little you know decision to to go out to the public and and bring his story out and and it, after so many people that have come through the office, I really genu- genuinely felt that Matt had um, all of the 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 richness. To, to give to the people what they need to hear, what helped was cannabis and and so it, it just you know it. i i when I heard you speak the other night it
1: I was really touched, and it, it just seems like your conviction to really get out there and help took some courage, but at the same time, it, does it feel as though a weight is lifted off in a way to be speaking openly about this. How do you feel about that?
0: Um, Yes and no. Um, It's one of those things that you're kind of like, you can, you know, hey, I use cannabis and like, you're like, lightning didn't strike. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I guess that's cool. But then the other worries is this like, okay, so now I'm opening myself up though for the slings and arrows of the dissenters and, you know, the wreckers you know, that you like to uh, tear you down just for the sake of tearing someone down. So that's that's kind of one of the things. It's like, uh, you know, I might have to put up with
1: that, you know. But have you? Not yet. Okay. I'll protect him. Good. <laughs> yeah. No, that's good. And Annette, I know, um, you know, after you made the decision that this was going to be a good thing, I mean, what I've read about the two of you, you always seem to come into the story as – it, it, when so many other injured uh, veterans return from war and deal with these issues, so many marriages break up. And I, I have to say, you deserve a Medal of Honor for, for, you know, the strength that you've shown as well. Because I, the injury doesn't just happen to your husband. It happens to you, too, because, you know, you're a unit, So how has that been for you? I mean, and now that he's speaking out, do you feel like you can kind of gather some strength from sharing that story and help others?
3: Oh, absolutely. You know, when, uh, after he was wounded, we did do some speaking uh, for the Air Force and everything about our experience and um, how good they were to us. And um, now it's kind of I think the same thing where we want to reach out to other folks and let them know what it's done for us. Because all it takes, like with Matt, what it took for him was somebody he respected that's utilizing it, talking to him about it. Mm -hmm. And that's what gave him really the first idea or the uh, confidence to go and step out and do it. Because I don't think if somebody that he respected hadn't mentioned it to him in the first place, he probably wouldn't have done it. So now he can do the same thing for other folks. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's really important, but uh you know this whole process has just taught us that we're a good team. I think in the long run, what it's really done is just solidified the fact that we're an awesome team together, mm-hmm. and um if we focus on that, then we can help out other folks as well mm-hmm. but um yeah i uh looking back on it all now i'm just I'm so glad that we made the decision that we did because there's really nothing worse than watching the person you love more than anything in the world go through something so difficult and be in so much pain physically and mentally, and there's nothing whatsoever you can do to make it better. Yeah. Um, and so when I saw this starting to work for him, you know, it was like, okay, this is awesome. You know, when I knew that he could come off so many of these other meds or, like, the one that he took for his phantom limb pain in his uh, when he lost his left arm. Um, because cannabis actually amazingly does a lot for that. And mm. they used to have him on a med that ha- put on so much weight and it didn't make him feel good. And so just the fact of being able to come off that, and it made him feel better about himself because he lost the weight too. Right. So, um I apologize. I I kind of went off track right there. No, I think that this is um, important to hear. Yeah, I would like to, though, by speaking about it, I would hope that maybe some other family members might think, hey, I wonder if this would work for my spouse or for my son or my daughter, you know, who's currently getting 10 bottles or 12 bottles a year of uh, Vicodin Mm -hmm. and taking that with Ativan and some other sort of antipsychotic. Right. You know, drug, which we all know those combinations together can kill people.
4: Lethal cocktail.
3: Lethal cocktail. Yeah, absolutely. I've, so, I've
0: scared myself on a few, a few occasions. Mm-hmm. Have you? With the bottles, taking the pills of like crap. Mm-hmm. I think I might have taken one too many. And not on purpose. You know, it's within, you know, because you're, you know, there's so many of them. And they're like, oh, you can take these as needed. You know, okay, well, I'm out of my mind at two in the morning. I need them. You know, and then have it like, okay, I got to stay up all night and walk around like it's like a heroin overdose or something. Because I'm afraid if I fall asleep, I ain't waking up.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't have to worry about that on THC. I could smoke THC until I pass out, which I never have done or want to. I'll just wake up with cotton mouth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, a carpet, and, print, and car- munchies, yeah, yeah. a carpet print on my face. That's, that's you know, that's, the great, that's the, great, uh, the great downside of that. The other one is my wife gets to put me in Arlington Cemetery. Another flag-draped coffin. Another casualty.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's the reality. People Oh, that's, that's sad. Yeah, no, it's not sad. It's tragic. Because yeah. right now, today, I guarantee you, more than a few young service members have been sunk into Arlington Cemetery, have their flags folded up and handed to their families mm. because they killed themselves, or they accidentally OD'd, or whatever, drove them over the edge because they're not getting the what they need for long-term survival.
1: Yeah. So now um, the task is to try to get this message to other service members who also feel that sense of duty not to break the law and and to do everything by the book and let them know it's OK. I mean,
0: yeah, absolutely. And once I got my card, I kind of got militant about it. You know, if you like, you know, people would be like, oh, that, hey, look, we're not going to have any stigma, anything about this. I pay my taxes on this. Yes. You know, yeah. I have the identification in my hand. You will respect my authorita. You know, <laughs> yeah. You're know, you not going to oh, give me yeah. any grief over this. Right. And i tell you, um, I, had a, um, I had a fall at my house and, in the middle of the night, and, uh, you know, 911, and the cops zoomed first thing there. You know, blind veteran fell, and a cop showed up, walked into my house, and he's like, sniffed. He's like, do you have any illicit substances? And I was like, I have a cannabis card. And he said, okay. That was the of it. Never got brought up once more.
4: Wow.
0: Good to go. Yeah. And I was just like. Oh, they would
4: have to be ashamed of themselves about man, that. Man, that
0: is so cool that the, it was just like, I don't even have to worry about this. Right. And I was able to talk to my doctors freely. And to be honest, the doctors, they were like, you use cannabis for your anxiety. And I said, yeah, that's one of the reasons. They're like, we don't even have anything that comes close to touching that. I was in the ER, you know, and they were treating, you know, treating me. And they were like, yeah, they're they like, we, we don't have any medications that work as well on anxiety as what you're already on.
1: Yeah, and the the shame of it, too, I mean, while it's no comparison to actual war, but being out in the streets as a a, um, uh, peace officer, too, there are a lot of police officers who do see some pretty tragic things who could benefit from cannabis to treat their version of PTSD, and yet Mm -hmm. they can't medicate because they're getting tested for drugs all the time.
0: Police officers and, have post-traumatic stress oh, yeah, on very yeah. high rates, yeah. very high rates. One reason a lot of them are, you know, like, oh, that cop's really aggressive. He has post-traumatic stress.
1: Right. <laughs> and, and maybe why they're a little bit trigger-happy, too, you know, when it comes to... Um, being spooked by something and pulling out their weapon. Oh, yeah. And it's causing all kinds of chaos in the cities right now, obviously. And mental
0: health for our, not only for, the, you know, us, but for the people that all, everybody, firefighters, uh, paramedics, mm-hmm. you know. You have somebody bleed out, you know, on you while you're working on them and they're looking in your eyes while they're bleeding to death and you don't get them there in time. You're, you're going to remember that. Yeah. And that stuff haunts you. Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, that one event. No, but it's not one event. It happens all the time, and they run together.
1: Liz, how often do you see um, civilian, uh, uh, like people who've gone through um, uh, police training or they actually work as police officers or firefighters? How often do you see those in your...
4: in your? They try to stay a little undercover, but they do come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that we have um, more veterans, and they speak more. Uh, about what has happened to them. I think uh, police officers uh, are a lot more shy because of the stigma attached to their label.
1: Right. And they would have to be former, I would think, if they're actually coming in to get a license. It's true. Yeah. I would
4: say that I probably have a handful of those people and they're very happy to have retired so that they could have this medicine. Mm-hmm. It's true.
1: Yeah. Wow. What do you think, Nate? Anything to add?
2: No, well, I'm just curious to know more about what you think has to change in military culture and just culture in general to ease the stigma and you know not have it be something that people come into the office and they're intimidated by.
0: Um, one, you need to be willing to be um, accept that uh, um, what we've been taught about it, what I grew up with. You know, Nancy Reagan told me just say no when I was 17. <laughs> And, uh, and that my parents, you know, and that my grandparents, all of them would, oh, if I smoked pot, they would, they would, it would just break their heart. Mm-hmm. Well, one, they weren't right about everything. You know, I admire my grandfather, who's an amazing man, you know, larger than life, taught me great many lessons, inspired me to join the military. He also told off told color racial jokes to us as kids. So, you know, you, you, know, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You're know? like, okay, these things don't work. And, so being willing to break with the conventions that you've been taught, that that's wrong, that's bad, coach taught me is bad, pastor says bad, whatever. Well, they're not right about it. They probably aren't right about a lot of stuff. And that's okay. It doesn't mean, you know, that you throw every, all, of, all of that away. But at what point do we open our eyes and do we look at uh, new, you know, credible standing in front of you? There's somebody in, standing in front of you like me you know, and it's like, well, who are you? And I'm like, okay, I've spent my entire adult life serving my nation long before the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I've disarmed and destroyed roadside bombs. I've saved lives. I've killed bad guys. I've brought humanitarian aid to Bedouin tribesmen in the deep desert and given them fresh water and food. You know, these people were drinking out of old metal oil drums. And after all of that and getting blown up and coming, dragging myself back to this point, if I don't have any credibility with you for to say, hmm, maybe sladen has got something to say, maybe there's some, something to what he has to say, then you're, you, you can't be persuaded in any way, shape, and form. You're, we're not even having an argument, you know? Um, so if, if you're not going to listen to somebody like me after all I've suffered and all I've given and everything, and, you know, I'm this poster boy, you know, of what the American you know, ideal service member is. You know, give me the respect of listening to me that I'm not lying to you. I don't have an ulterior motive. I'm not part of some subculture movement. I just want to not be sick. And I don't want my friends to be sick. I don't want any more of my friends to die, to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. Because I have friends that have killed themselves from post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, They're dead. Ugh. And they don't need to be one more casualty from the war. So true. And they're all around us. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if people would, uh, people that are pro, you know, I'd say to you out there who's uh, on the conservative side and you're like, yeah, you know, I'm for the troops and I believe in whatever. Well, then get up and go out and find someone who is hurting, who has gone and done what you asked them to do and help them.
1: Mm-hmm. And help them by understanding why medical cannabis is so important. That's mainly
0: what we want. We don't, I don't want anybody to give me anything. Yeah. (laughs) I just want someone to just give me some respect. Yeah. You know, and that's free.
1: Yeah. And understanding. Just
4: just
0: open up your mind and be, you know, okay, I'm listening, Matt, you know, that's all I want.
4: Yeah. Liz. Um, I was going to say that pain, whether mental or physical is a very personal journey. And, Nobody really gets to understand what we go through. Hopefully we have a beautiful spouse like Annette that can really be supportive in every way. But most times we are left alone. um, In in the circumstance where we have that pain and we battle it, and most of it um, really depends on your faculty, your mind really plays a, a role. And with cannabis easing the mind we have the ability to calm down all of our nerves all of the anxieties if we could just be able to express to those people who are scared of that toxicity that that they think they will be intoxic you know or what's the word intoxicated intoxicated thank you um it I tell people, the first time you took Tylenol, you had to figure out, how many do I need? And you did a self-survey, I need two. This requires three. And you could feel yourself on the journey of what that Tylenol did for you. Well, cannabis has been likened to having one beer. So no matter how much pot you may smoke, you'll feel like you had one beer. And in that circumstance that people are so afraid to have that Um, in their system they almost build up the walls so that they then have look it didn't work for me or you know the against it stays there Mm -hmm. and and if we could be able to have um, myself Matt and that people like this that yourselves included that have experience that have the knowledge that this works for me and my pain, it could work for you and your pain. Mm -hmm. That's really what we all have to tend to ourselves. So if Matt didn't have the strength of character to use cannabis in the most sincerely professional mannerism about his health, about his healing, after four years, maybe it wouldn't have helped him. But it has because he took it seriously and he didn't allow the stigma to remain. He saw how many pulls he needed or how many deliveries of which kind he needed. And that experimentation that is the most important, it is trial um, trial, trial by error, error. but mm-hmm. it is something that we we need to cultivate the the confidence in people that they will not falter in this, that they'll still be able to go to work. They'll still be able to function. They'll still be able to be themselves and not feel criminalized and demoralized.
1: Right. And, and also I think uh, you touched on something a little bit ago too, that the, the community, the support community in the cannabis world um, has grown significantly. And invariably, I mean, Patients who are discovering the miracle, the healing miracle that cannabis is and can be, I think are really um, stepping up and helping others understand how to use it and how not to feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some are courageous, like like you both are, um, to really go out and speak about your journey and, and tell people just how much it's helping. And I mean, hey, we just have to keep doing that and letting people know. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything to add to that?
0: Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you. You know, I I'm, I'm really grateful to, um, well, all of you really, <laughs> but you know, thank you for for sharing the the pain and sharing the journey. I know that it it takes a lot to, you know, open up the book and let people in to read it and to you know really understand. Um, the pain you've experienced and the healing that has come from your choices, which were painful probably in and of themselves. It's a
0: little nerve-wracking. You know, uh, military uh, types uh, in general were tight-lipped. Mm-hmm. And the uh, more uh, high-speed, small unit you work your way into, that tight-lipped, quite professional suck it up and drive on, that becomes more and more, uh, you know, the, uh, um, the rule and not the exception because eventually you get around and everybody's like that. So, uh, and so that, that's, that, that stuck with me, you know, leaving, you know, into the civilian world in my retirement. It's like, are you in pain? Of course I'm in pain. Why don't you say something? Why would I say something? I don't say things. You don't say I'm in pain. Oh, my knees hurt. When you're, when you're in the military, because everybody's knees hurt and you're just the whiner of the group now. And so that's the thing like, yeah, this is heavy. That's why nobody bitches in the military about that kind of stuff because we're we're all suffering. (laughs) So you, you just get marked out as the complainer. And, uh, and so that just, that's a kind of, it's a, it's a mindset. It's a mentality. And so you stick with it. It's one of those things you, uh, you know, you don't ask for help. You know, I don't ask for help. You ask me for help. You know, it's that, that kind of mentality from the military. It sticks with you and it's really hard to overcome.
1: Yeah. I I do understand that um, very, very well. I'm a fourth uh, generation military brat. I had a grandfather in the Air Force, great grandfather in the Navy, father in the Navy. And nobody in my family really could understand why I was doing what I'm doing because I'm going against the family grain (laughs) and very conservative upbringing and um, all of that. But, you know, some of them are starting to really understand why. mine, Mine
0: was the opposite. Really? I was raised by hippies. Oh, <laughs>
1: wow! I'm the black sheep. <laughs> talk about the black sheep syndrome in the opposite direction. Yep. Wow! I'm the black sheep. Yeah. So well, then. Um, <laughs> that's a whole other topic, isn't it, Liz? I
4: think <laughs> that's cultural. We have to talk about our society.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that um, I think we're well on our way and. You know, there's a lot of good, I think, that can come from the upcoming elections. And, you know, even though that is also sort of stigmatized because people say, oh, well, we've got a medical law in place right now. Why do we need to pass additional legislation or have people vote on what they perceive to be a recreational law? Hmm. But, Liz, from your perspective, I mean, um, it's not really just about... Recreation there, isn't it? Is it more about opening up the access and removing the stigma That's to have right. that law passed? What do I you would think?
4: agree. I think that um, when we pass the law, it, I say when, <laughs> um, I think that the medical program will always be very important for newbies that don't have any sense of understanding for cannabis. They need to see a doctor to get a full more medical evaluation. But the actual, the word recreation actually bothers me. It makes mm-hmm. me think of a park. Um, we all gravitate towards something. And to call that recreation is a little sad because we all are led by our own, um, however you call higher self. And so if we're gravitating towards it, uh, and I understand that we have to use a word, but um, i don 't believe that people are doing it just for fun. I believe that they may be led to prevent something that they 're not entirely understanding. so if it smells good to you, if it tastes good to you, if you 're gravitating towards it don 't go against yourself
1: well also if somebody 's gravitating toward it in lieu of going out and you know having three cocktails in a bar, which is worse it it 's You know, damaging to your system and and alcoholism is an epidemic in this country. It's, you know, almost as as bad as pharmaceuticals in that regard.
0: Nobody gets really, really high on THC and beats their wife to death.
1: Right, (laughs) right.
0: Doesn't happen. Yeah. No. I don't break things and fly off the handle when I get, if I overdo it. I, uh, I lay on the couch and I listen to a book and go, what? Yeah, okay. Um, sure, I'll have a sandwich.
4: Almost every patient says it calms them down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every one that I've met. And then,
0: and, then, uh, and then when it wears off, I'm like, okay, let's do something else. And I'm not, like, sick and throwing up and dehydrated. It's just like, yawn, like, you know, and shake it off and get up. And like, okay, so what's next, you know?
1: Yeah. So then, then one has to ask, what's the harm?
0: Um. My immortal soul. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, really, really. And so, and so, when it comes to you know convincing people in our society that you know this this really is not going to be the end of civilization to pass this law, what we're and it might is, help a lot more people, of course, feel we'll... like it's legal, so they're they're removing a stigma.
4: Yes, I feel like it is something that that we need to do so that we have respect for ourselves so we can feel that people are not disrespecting us because that's what we want at the end of the day, why people are gravitating against it mm-hmm. is because they don't want to be disrespected. They've worked very hard for that respect, and so to see respect leave the room for a choice that would help them and not hurt them, it it damages a lot of people's psyche. Right. It's psychological for sure.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you've got some young 19, 20-year-old kid who suffered horribly, you know, both physically and psychologically because he answered the call. And that's the big thing. People need to remember if you said, hey, I'm for the war in Iraq, I voted for Bush, and I love that. And if if that was you, then you have an obligation to these kids. I mean, you really do. You have a moral obligation because they, they joined up, they loaded up, they went out, and they did what you asked them to do. And then they came back, and then now you're minimalizing them.
1: Right.
0: Don't, I mean.
1: They deserve our respect. How, how can
0: you look at yourself in the mirror and say, like, yeah, I'm a good person. No, you're not. No. no. you are not. That homeless kid in the street who has severe post-traumatic stress disorder, he's a good person.
4: He did so much for us, and now what did we do for him? Yeah, marginalized. Them, yes.
0: You know? I mean, we did it to the Vietnam vets. That, that's a whole other, i my throw up when I think about the Vietnam vets, because after how, how we treated them. Well, not we, I was a baby, but, yeah. but you know, we as a society. And so uh, I see, you know, just, you know, this thing, history repeats itself. If you, if you read a few books, you're like, oh, I've seen that. You know? And uh, it's nothing new. And, you know, people, and it goes back to the, rec- the uh, medical. It's like, well, they can get their medical cards. They have, they're, they're, they're so sick. They're homeless. Where are they going to go get their medical card? Where, where's their mailing address? Where are they going to get? Their IDs, where are, they, where's the, where, are you out of your mind?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and then the other issue is and they're it. And, and they're, se- they're sick. Or and they're
0: severely sick. They're so sick that they're homeless now. And right. it's like, hey, you know, you could uh, hitchhike across town. And, I know, oh, you don't have a smartphone? So, well, here, let me write it on the grime in your arm. Go look up this address. You know, Liz is cool. You know, you need to do a little better than that, you know. Yeah. You need to do a little better than that.
1: There's just no excuse for that.
0: No excuse it's, whatsoever.
1: It's shame. shame in a you know big sense of that word.
0: It's, it's revolting.
1: Yeah, absolutely, it is. Well, you know, we have an opportunity here to make some changes. You know, at least um, in the few states that are offering uh, the issue to voters.
0: It's inevitable. Yeah, and that's another thing. If you were like just digging your heels in, every word we've said just makes you matter and matter. Just you know, um, accept that it's inevitable.
1: Yeah, and so, stay mad. Go vote.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know? let's
1: fix it. We can we can it, fix it. Is it is inevitable. We so can give everybody so if access. if you're Fighting
0: against it, if you're you know, uh, you know, it's, to me, it's like this, these are the same people that are like you know, vote against you know, uh, fought against the women having the right to vote. The mm-hmm. you know, women, women don't vote. I grew up and my daddy and we don't, and that's just not the way it's done. Right. And now we look back and we're like, wow, really? Right. And so it's the same kind of thing. It's that, it's that digging in of your position, you know, that I don't care what you have to say. And there's a certain percentage of people out there that will do that. You know, it, it wouldn't matter. what. There's no way you're going to persuade them. Yeah. So you just have to hang on and wait for them to die off.
1: There's a famous quote out there. I forget who said it, actually. You might remember, Nate. But he said, you know, one of these days our children, our grandchildren are going to look back on this time When Prohibition was in full swing and say, what, were you people mad? (laughs) Do we do it all the time? You look
0: back at Prohibition in the 20s. Exactly. We're like, God, with all the gangster stuff and the obvious violence. And and I'm sure they're going to look back at us and be like, wow. Wow. You could have... We could have a space station.
1: Imagine, so. imagine how um, how amazing things could be in our country if those trillions of dollars that went into the war on drugs actually went to like building bridges and
0: infrastructure. infrastructure. even if you don't like, you don't buy the whole like ah the heck with the kids. Well, what about like bridges and power lines and stuff? You want right. America to be strong, and we need a strong infrastructure. I it's say crumbling start to bits.
4: mental therapy for everyone. Yeah, everybody needs a shrink. Forget the bridge. Let's go for mental therapy. Yeah. Yeah, that's something therapy is talking. We're all crazy to a certain yeah. extent. Yeah.
1: But yeah, and, so, uh, you know. Gosh, we could go on for days, couldn't we? Yeah, just doing the
0: same know. thing because that's what you've always been doing is the dumbest reason to yeah, do it again.
1: do it again. <laughs> Think
0: about what you're doing. Look, analyze, adjust. Because mm-hmm. if that was the case, we wouldn't have airplanes. We would still, you know. Evolution. Exactly. Yeah. Evolution is worse.
1: Evolution and progress. Yeah. So, and yeah. So, well, it's up to us. Anything
2: to add? No. It was quite an interesting interview. Thank, thank you.
1: you, thank you, thank you, thank you So, um, yeah it's, it's time And I'd love to resume This conversation some more At another date Absolutely. Um, because I think that there's just So much more and I, I really hope That um, you'll keep Us apprised of your progress And you know, I'd, I'd love to Come out and hear you speak again So, and thank you for all of that Thank you for the, the work, so That said, it's time to say goodbye. And I want to personally thank Liz Valentine of Green Star Doctors for being here today. I also would like to express my gratitude to Sergeant Matt Slayton and his wife Annette for sharing their incredible journey with us today. And thank you to our very own Nate Nichols for our Marijuana Minute update and ongoing contributions to the show love having you here and if you want to learn more about today's topic and other compelling guests uh, please visit our website thecannabisreporter.com thank you a million to our producer Wendy West and the team at Star Worldwide Networks for making us shine and thanks to all of you for listening tune in next week same time same place for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter radio show until we meet again stay safe stay informed Go to the polls and make it a great day. Evergreen is calling, evergreen is always.